have your Bible with you or you'd like to use one in the back of the pew in front of you, turn with me to Psalm 1, the Old Testament book of Psalms. This morning we will be reading together the first one. If you're a guest with us, or it's your first time back in a while, or you were not here last summer, we are going to take a summer trip, a summer break, and journey our way through a collection of psalms. We did this last summer, and for me, it was a breath of fresh air, and so I wanted to return to that practice this summer. We are going to be reading Psalms 1 to 9 over the next couple of months and allow these songs to reinvigorate our souls, to propel us to worship as we read these songs together. This morning we're going to look at the first one and be confronted with the reality that despite all of our differences, there are only two people in the whole world. With all that in mind, let us read Psalm 1. This is the word of the Lord. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. When you were a kid, did you ever have a backwards day where everything you did for the whole day would be backwards? You walked around your house backwards. You put your clothes on backwards. Maybe you even had your meals backwards, dinner in the morning and breakfast at night. If you looked at the book of Psalms as a worship service, these collection of praise songs, you might be tempted to think that things are backwards. In our worship services, the way it typically goes, like you've seen much this morning, is we start with worship, singing songs of praise, and then, whether through the sermon or after the sermon, a call is made, an invitation is made for you to belong to the people. But if you look at the book of Psalms, that is flipped on its head. You go to the end of the book of Psalms, in Psalm 150, the very last psalm tells us to praise the Lord with the trumpet, praise the Lord with the cymbals, praise the Lord with singing and with music. But the book of Psalms opens with an invitation. Psalm 1 and 2 really together offer us a two-part invitation to belong to the Lord. What this big picture view of the book shows us, brothers and sisters, is this 
truth. Worship starts with belonging. To worship the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you first have to belong to him. That's the reality this psalm presents to us and confronts us with when it tells us there are only two people in the world. Our world does not like that message. We like to think that there are all kinds of different people. When we check boxes about ourselves, we need an other box because two options are not enough. But the Bible tells us there are only two. There are those who belong and there are those who do not. I want to show you this through this song by looking at the only two people in the world. The first person is the blessed in verses 1 to 3. Read verses 1 to 3 with me one more time. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. This song holds the answer to the mystery that every person who's ever lived has tried to solve. It is a mystery greater than the lost city of gold or the location of the fountain of youth. The mystery is where do you find happiness? Every one of us is on that pursuit, looking under every nook and cranny and corner, trying to find happiness for our souls. And Psalm 1 tells us the answer right off the bat. The word blessed literally means to be happy, but it is more than just a passing feeling of happiness that could go just like that. It is a deep inner satisfaction of the soul. What does this happiness, this life of happiness look like? And what I would want you to do is compare your life with this one and see how they line up. The psalmist gives us three looks at the blessed life, at the happy life. The first one is negative, what the happy life is not like. First, brothers and sisters, the blessed life is countercultural. Verse 1 tells us, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Brothers and sisters, you cannot be blessed if you go with the flow. You cannot be blessed if you just roll along with everyone else. There must be a difference, there must be a distinction in your life if you would claim to be blessed. The psalm tells us there must be a difference in your thinking. We do not walk in their counsel. There must be a difference in our behavior. We do not stand in their way. There must be a difference in our commitments. We do not sit in their seats. Friends, look at your thinking, your behavior, your commitments. Compare that with the world, with your neighbor. How different are you? 
2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. It's a verse that we normally associate with marriage. Paul does not do that in the book of 2 Corinthians. He tells all of us as Christians, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? The blessed life, brothers and sisters, is different. It is counter cultural. Secondly, the blessed life is saturated by the word. Look at verse 2. The blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Some of you tomorrow are going to get up for work and just dread it. It's Monday. But what if I told you tomorrow you don't have to go to work at all? Your boss has already given you the day off and you actually can go on a trip to the beach or to the lake. How are you going to wake up now? What's that going to look like? That's how the blessed man wakes up to this book. It's not an obligation to dread to get yourself through. It is an opportunity for enjoyment, for genuine delight. So that's why you won't find a blessed man, a blessed woman, settling for a five-minute devotional light reading of Scripture. You will find them, the psalmist says, meditating day and night. Now, that's a loaded word. When you hear the word meditation, with all our cultural baggage, which you're probably prone to think about is emptying your mind, freeing yourself from any thoughts, thinking nothing. But biblically, meditation is the exact opposite. Del Ralph Davis explains it in a helpful way. But he does so by, by giving us something that is as foreign as meditation for some of us, asking directions. You go to the Say you're lost, and you have to pull off and ask somebody for some directions. You go to the gas station and ask them how to get to the place you're looking for. They tell you how to get there. You immediately repeat the directions to yourself out loud. And as you leave the gas station, head to your car, you are telling yourself again the directions over and over and over again. And as you get in the car and you start to drive and you progress through the directions, you are saying them to yourself over and over again until you meet your destination. You work those directions in. That's what meditation looks like, brothers and sisters. We, we don't just settle for a glance at the word. We work the word in. So verses 1 and 2 set up this contrast. You can either let your thinking be led by the world's counsel, or you can let your thinking be led by meditation. What shapes the way you think? It's easy to just give the church answer. But let's think through some specifics. How do you make a decision about your finances? What shapes your thinking? What shapes your thinking when you're making family decisions like where your kids will go to school? Do you just go with the flow or do you make your own personal decisions? How do you think about marriage? 
How do you think about parenting? How do you think about things that are going on in the culture? Do you just go with the flow and think the same thoughts that your neighbor thinks? And just pick up the party line? Or do you dive into the word, spend personal time with the Lord, let him speak by his spirit through the word to shape your thoughts? Whatever shapes your thinking shapes your life. And if you want to be blessed, then this book needs to soak and saturate your life. Joshua 1 verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you can be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. This promise given to Joshua is seen in the third look at the blessed life. The blessed life is not only saturated by the word, it is marked by fruitfulness. Look at verse 3. He, the blessed man, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. What a beautiful picture. It is hard to add to. It's hard to top that. It's hard to feel that. I don't know if it's just me, but it's easy to go through this life and feel more like a Missouri tree in the middle of an F5 tornado sometimes than to feel like this tree. We know that this isn't just a promise that the blessed life is going to be easy, that it's going to be as peaceful as a tree by the river. What the psalmist is telling us is that the person who soaks in the word, who meditates day and night, will have stability and vitality. Brothers, can I offer you an encouragement and a word that just changed the way I saw this psalm and has helped me so much? Who plants the tree? Friends, the tree does not plant itself. The tree does not sink its roots by itself down by the water. This word literally means to transplant. Someone has taken this tree and planted it by the stream. But this is you do not bless yourself. You do not make your life this tree yourself. God plants us by this stream. Colossians 1 verse 13, Paul tells us, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred, transplanted us into the kingdom of his beloved son. From when your life is hid in Christ, he washes you by his word. We read that in Ephesians chapter five. He roots your life in his spirit and overflows his grace into your life. And what God plants, brothers and sisters, he grows. So no matter what the weather's like in your life, No matter what the circumstances are, no matter what storms come your way, when God plants you, there will be life. There will be fruit. What kind of fruit is on your tree? Can you honestly assess that? In this season of life right now, what fruit is blooming on your tree? 
John chapter 15, verses 3 to 5, Jesus says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So the psalmist shows us what it looks like to belong. Brothers and sisters, when you belong to Christ, this is what your life should look like. Countercultural, different, saturated in God's word, and marked by the fruit of the Spirit. If you say you belong, that should be a mirror image of your life. The psalmist, as he opens this great book of songs to the Lord, wants us to belong to him, shows us what we look like when we do not belong. There's only two people in the world. You're either blessed or, according to this psalm, you're the wicked. If that seems extreme, I'm just using the words in the psalm. I could have got creative and made some new names for them, but I didn't. Psalm 1 says, either verses 1 to 3, you're blessed, or verses 4 to 6, you're wicked. Look at verses 4 to 6 with me. Psalmist says, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. You want a confrontation, you drop an either-or statement like this psalm in the midst of our culture. It's it's one way or the other. It is either-or. There there is not a third option here. And Psalm 1 makes this emphatic in the original language. Verse 4, the wicked are not so. Everything that we've already said about the blessed life, you can say the opposite about the wicked. You can say the reverse. The wicked may look blessed. They are not so. The wicked may look happy. They may look satisfied. They may look full of delight like they're enjoying life. The psalmist tells us they are not so. The wicked may look like the ones who prosper in all that they do. They are not So, looks can be deceiving. And there's two truths in these verses that expose the wicked life for what it is so that we know the reality, despite how things seem. First, the psalmist tells us that the wicked life is empty today. As fun as it may look, As appealing as it might be sometimes, it is utterly vain and empty, the psalmist tells us. Verse 4b, it says, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. During the harvest, the chaff was the part that would blow away in the wind. And no one went to collect it or keep it because it was worthless. You could do nothing with it of any value. 
psalmist tells us everything that the world holds up as important, every priority that drives their worldview, every ideal that consumes their way of life, every delight that captivates their attention, every pursuit that dominates their activity, everything that they esteem and hold up as worthwhile, God puts them on his heavenly scale and they all come back weightless. Like nothing. Brothers and sisters, this is an important truth to remember as the world just bombards us over and over again with what is important. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 14, Solomon goes on an exploration around the world to find something important and he comes back and says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. Brothers and sisters, the next time you're tempted to believe that something outside of God's word is going to bring you that satisfaction and that delight that your soul longs for, remember the lie that what is promised to you as worthwhile and meaningful and satisfactory is nothing. It's empty. It's different as as much of a contrast as how God evaluates the blessed and the wicked today is where they're headed. The second truth we see, friends, is the wicked life is doomed tomorrow. Look at verses 5 and 6. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I'm going to give you the quick version to prove there's only two people in the world and how different they are. I want you to look at two words in this psalm. If you've got your Bible open, I want you to look at the first word, and I want you to look at the last word. And what do you see? Blessed or perish? As Derek Kidner writes, these are the two ways, and there is no third. There is no middle ground. There is no other option. In God's eyes, And at the last day, when we face him, we will either be blessed or we will perish. The word perish means to become lost, to go astray, to die forever. And while the world may look like it's thriving and may be prosperous and full of life, Proverbs 14 verse 12 tells us there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Brothers and sisters, there is coming a day when God will separate the blessed and the wicked, the righteous and the unrighteous, the sheep and the goats. And all of us, as we stand before the judge, will be exposed for what we really are. The contrast could not be any more stark, any more black and white, heaven or hell. Jesus himself told us this message. Matthew 13, verses 41 to 43, Jesus said, the Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous 
will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. It's a really sober message to start off a book of songs. Hundred fifty different options. Why did they choose this one to start us off? Brothers and sisters, the psalmist is begging us to hear this call. Before you sing another song, make sure you know where you stand. Before you take another step in your life, on your journey, answer this question. Who are you? Which person? You and I cannot be the blessed one until we recognize we're the second one. Belonging, being blessed, starts with recognizing our sin. In our sin, all of us chose the way of the world, the way of the wicked. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells us we were following the course of the world. Then in verse 3, he says, Among whom, among the world, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We weren't any different. We were just like everybody else. Every single one, none is righteous, no, not one, except Jesus alone showed us what it looked like to live the blessed life. Jesus alone is the one who delighted in the word, meditated on it day and night, never went against a single word of the law. Jesus was the true blessed man who took the place of the wicked and died for the unrighteous so that we could be blessed. Jesus was exiled. Jesus was forsaken so that we could belong. The gospel, brothers and sisters, this song is not telling us Try harder to be blessed. Do more so that you can be blessed. Read the Bible more so that you can be blessed. As we get to Psalm 2, we'll see it clearly. God is calling us to unite ourselves with his son, Jesus Christ. Put faith in his work and be blessed in him. That's why Matthew 7, verses 13 to 14, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide. And the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Do you see the words Jesus is saying? There's two options. It's the wide gate or the narrow gate. The blessed life or the wicked life. Which gate will you enter? You ask, how do I do that? How do I make sure I'm on the right path? How do I enter the right gate? The word that Jesus uses to repent literally means to change roads, to change directions. Stop going down the way you're going. Put your trust in what he did for you on the cross. John 10, verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture you will find the happiness you're looking for. Friend, put your trust in what Jesus did for you on the cross and in his resurrection, 
and you will be blessed. If you say to the question, which one are you? Oh, I'm the blessed man. That's me. I know it. Your answer leads to a series of questions. And I want you to zone in on these questions and really consider them. Remember, I asked you to compare your life to the blessed life. If you say, I'm on the blessed side, I've chosen that way, there's more questions. How much evidence do you have of God's blessing in your life? Has the Spirit given you a counter-cultural life? Can you point to things that God has specifically changed in the way you think? That you could say, I used to think this way, but then when God planted me in his grace, he totally changed the way I think about it now. Can you point to new kinds of behavior that you can't take credit for yourself? Where you know when God transformed your life, he transformed the way you live. Has there been a decisive break from the ways of this world, or do you call yourself blessed and just go with the flow? How much delight do you have in the work? How much joy do you find in meditating on the law of the Lord? This deep, long meditation and memorization scare you away? Sound like a chore? Or is it in your blood? Do you have a testimony of being deeply rooted with life-sustaining, overflowing grace where storms have come and gone, but your tree is still planted where God planted you? What evidence do you have that you're blessed? Are your leaves still blooming? Your fruit still growing or have your leaves withered away? As Stephen Lawson put it, your answers to these questions will show you which side you're on. Some of us, brothers and sisters, are depending on decisions we've made in our life at one point that had no impact on the way we live. We might have walked an aisle, we might have prayed a prayer, we might have signed a card, we might have been baptized, we might have said the right things, but there is no difference and there is no fruit. Brothers and sisters, based on the authority of the word of God, allow me to share with you, if you have no fruit, you probably do not have a root. The Lord, the psalm says, knows the way of the righteous. He knows where you stand. Brothers and sisters, worship. To truly worship God, to truly come here and offer him praise, it starts with belonging. 
And it's quite possible you've been in church and you've belonged on a membership role your whole life, but you have never belonged to the king. And one last time, no matter what your testimony, your story of of church attendance and giving and serving may be, allow me to call you one more time to belong to the Lord today truly by turning from your sin and putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But friend, if the Spirit has been working in your heart through these questions and is confirming your salvation and, and letting you know that you are a child of God, Live the blessed life. Find happiness where you can find it. Delight in the law of the Lord. Colossians 1.10 tells us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. It is easier day by day to drift off and to just be conformed to the world to think like they think, to behave like they behave, to do what they do, just to make it a little bit easier. Brothers and sisters, refuse their counsel. Reject their way. Refuse to sit in their seat and let your roots sink deeper into God's word. Delight in the word he has given. Delight in his son. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, blessed, happy is the man who takes refuge in him. May that be so of us. May we live that blessed life. Let us pray.